Here we go. West Hills Friends is a Quaker meeting in Portland, Oregon. You can find more information about our community at westhillsfriends.org. As a Quaker community, we encourage everyone to share from their hearts. Especially as it pertains to God's leading in their lives. These words are shared into a community that values the opportunity to respond and dialogue about what is said. The responses and dialogue are not included in this recording. The views expressed in this content are solely those of the original contributor. And do not necessarily speak for the entire West Hills Friends community. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Okay. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew 2, verses 1 to 2. And I know I'm skipping ahead in the story quite a bit. But this is after Jesus was born. Matthew 2, verses 1 through 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem village, Judah territory, this was during Herod's kingship, a band of scholars arrived in Jerusalem from the east. They asked around, where can we find and pay homage to the newborn king of the Jews? We observed a star in the eastern sky that signaled his birth. We're on pilgrimage to worship him. About six years ago, I was sitting on the counter down in the kitchen of the community building. This is where we used to gather for youth group. Gracie Huber, Alana Crail, and Larissa Norris-York decided to start up a round of Harry Potter trivia. After noticing that I failed to contribute any answers to the first 15 questions, they turned inquisitively to me and said, oh my gosh, Mark, you haven't read Harry Potter, have you? While I was tempted to lie, Knowing my relevancy as a youth pastor to the high school Harry Potter fan group of West Hills Friends was on the line, I admitted sheepishly that no, I had never read a word from a single Harry Potter book. I could have lost my job that night <laughs> had I not promised to at least start right away. I recounted this story just a few days later to Matthew Cox. Is he here? There he is. Who also looked at me as if I'd revealed a serious character flaw. <laughs> who promised me to let me borrow his copy of the first book immediately. Sure enough, the next Sunday, he marched into my office and sternly handed me the book a healthy mix of admonishment and disappointment on his face. <laughs> Matthew may have forgotten that he gave me this book because it, was, it has been six years, and I still have it. <laughs> in fact, it sat at the bottom of a stack of books in my office for the last 5.75 years, <laughs> untouched. It wasn't until Cade celebrated his six and a half birthday that I said, okay, it's time, and that was this October. So Matthew, 
We finished the first book, and I'm returning it to you today. Yeah, he's probably been thinking about it every day. Still has that book. So for the last month, Beth and I have traded turns reading Matthew's copy of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone to Cade as he drifted off to sleep. I'd often, read, uh, I'd often read another 20 or 30 pages after Cade began snoring. We left Harry Potter heading back to the Dursleys on the, Hogwarts, on the Hogwarts Express just a week and a half ago. We have just cracked the spine of the second book. Just days into the, into the reading of the first book, Cade decided he would be Harry Potter for Halloween. As many of you know, we traveled back to visit family in Pennsylvania for the holiday and to trick-or-treat with his four cousins. When we arrived at my sister's house, we discovered that Cade's oldest cousin and best friend were dressed like this. I'm going to turn on the projector. As we prepared the younger kids for walking the town, I watched as Cade and his matching cousin slash Hogwarts companion placed imaginary spells on each other with elaborate wrist flicks of wands enthusiastically purchased by their parents at Target. Soon his other cousin, dressed as a werewolf, joined in the fun. And for 30 minutes, nothing in the world could break their immersion in the imaginative play. The story was so compelling to these young people that it could not stay locked in the confines of a cover and back page. It had to live. It had to sparkle. It had to breathe in the real world. Some of you know our friend Wes Daniels, who used to pastor the Friends Meeting in Camas. Um, He wrote about Harry Potter fandom as an example of the transition from consumer to participant, and how being immersed in the sacredness of a text should not move us towards protecting it to the point of gatekeeping, but rather should motivate us towards being collaborators, to being creators, steeped in the tradition, but longing for it to breathe, sparkle, and live in the real world. He says, Harry Potter is a very clear example from our culture where where people are emotionally invested in their fan objects. So much that they not only learn the text, backstories, and all the accoutrements associated with whatever they are fans of, they also dress up and resemble their favorite characters, create community around these objects and produce new texts, stories, and artwork that furthers not just the reach, but the very life of these stories. When we think about the origins of a compelling story and the response to it, we have a couple in our own tradition. The Christmas story is a wonderful example. At the beginning, I read from Matthew 2, the Magi, or scholars, arrived in Jerusalem having heard a compelling story about a new king. They started asking around. 
Can you imagine that? Arriving in a city already with a king, asking strangers about the new king who had just been born. Can you imagine how that story spread throughout Jerusalem? And that is just the beginning. We read throughout the Gospels the masses of people who have heard stories about this Jesus person and who came out to see him. And they didn't really need to go to a particular place because the story was too rich and alive to only happen inside a building. It was a story on the road with ordinary people experiencing the circus of miracles, of loaves of bread multiplying. It was performance art, a king making a triumphant entry into a city on a donkey. It was public confrontations with know-it-alls telling them to take the planks out of their own eyes before pointing to the speck in another. It was the news of an empty tomb. My family's venture into the fandom of Harry Potter has coincided with my falling in love once again with the creative and wild potential of Quakerism. Not just as a lovely tradition of the past, but as a dynamic story, still unfolding and begging to be played with. On Halloween night, my son and his cousins entered into play around a central story flawlessly. In that 30 minutes, they found a way to incorporate a werewolf into the story. And when a powerful spell was placed on one person to freeze them forever, another person would step in to cast a spell that gave them a protective layer of fire to keep them from freezing. All the while, the central story stood at the heart of the play. This was play in collaboration in its purest form. It wasn't about quizzing anyone on the rules of a game that they didn't know yet, or to try to convert them to the superiority of their game, but just to play, to carry a love for the thing, and to wonder how we can play it together. Can you see this way of thinking? Can you taste the sweetness of this idea? Can you, like me, feel the adrenaline pumping, your creativity flowing? This, my friends, is what the Christian church needs. This is what Quakerism needs. We are so often beating our heads against the inside of our own walls, and the constant pounding sound is making the neighbors mad. The idea to build a labyrinth in our front yard came at a time of wondering about this. I was thinking about how our love for our particular way of gathering for worship didn't really live and breathe here in this neighborhood. It came as I watched hundreds of people walking through our space on a daily basis from my office window. A stranger looking out at other strangers who were so close to meeting me and I them. I wanted nothing more than to tell those people about the beautiful things happening in this community the quirky, imperfect, but beautiful things. I wanted to tell them that we are full of people hurt and unsure about the capital C church. These thoughts had nothing to do with evangelism in the way we've always known it. It was about opportunity. It was a longing to see what these strangers, 
and the potential relationship I could have with them would mean for the story of us, West Hill's friends, how they could find both rest and peace here, but also bring their story, their own imaginations, hopes, dreams, and playfulness to this thing. Each person is a miraculous opportunity for connection and deepening in this Quaker community that knows at its heart that we are better, we are more vibrant when we get to see what God looks like in the eyes of the mysterious and wonderful beauty that is every single person on this planet. They are not a project. They are not a person in need of saving. They are not a potential writer of a check or a future volunteer. They are carriers of the light of God. And boy, it is a missed opportunity for all of us if we don't get to see that light. This is why Quakerism is so radical, y'all. You aren't consumers of this thing. You are co-conspirators. You are participants, creators, shapers, imagineers, and dreamers. This is built into our tradition. Do you know how lucky we are? We don't really need to fight against the pressure of hierarchy or ticking off the higher ups. We have something to show to our Christian friends and other denominations that the future of the church should look a whole like should look a whole lot like the foundation of it. Collaborative, alive, dynamic, and wild. It should be revolutionary. It should be disorienting, disruptive, and frightening to the status quo. It should be wildly enticing, not in a manipulative way, but in the invitational way a game of softball begins, with just a parent lobbing balls to a child and suddenly passerby seeing the fun and running down pop flies in the outfield, and a catcher positions themselves behind the plate to pick up strikes and balls. Suddenly every position on the field is covered, and a full nine innings are in store with promises of, man, this was fun, meet you here again tomorrow night. Y'all, this is the way of thinking, this way of thinking is so, exciting for me, and it has required a paradigm shift. It has required beating back the soul-sucking weight of doubt, what-ifs, and unforeseen failures. But I think this is what Jesus was trying to do each time he rebuked his disciples for missing the point. He was begging them to see it all differently. He called out Pharisees in their presence how many times? He was saying to them and to us, see the sparkle in this. Go play. Take this story, dress up, and create. Go. Some queries for you as we enter into open worship. How have you experienced these stories unfolding in your life? How have these stories encouraged you to be playful, to collaborate, to be creative? Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. We're really happy that so many of you are finding it to be helpful 
and as a way to stay connected with what's going on with us here at West Hills Friends. If you'd like to stay connected with us in other ways, we have a couple options for you. You can check out our website. It's westhillsfriends.org. There you'll find some more information about who we are as a community. You can also follow us on Facebook. We have a Facebook account by just searching for West Hills Friends. You can also follow us on Instagram. We have a Instagram account with the name West Hills Friends. So we hope that you'll get connected with us in other ways. And again, thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast.